Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 309 of Linux in the Hampshire. And this is our Weekender episode, so we are going to talk about the fun things in life, like doing amateur radio and open source, which is what we talk about every week. And then we'll throw in some food and some spirits and some good times and just basic enjoyability on this, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And if you don't believe me, just look up the definition of terrific. Uh, So without further ado... We'll introduce everybody here tonight. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill NE4RD. So before we get derailed, we should probably just dive right in and talk about some contests that are coming up in the amateur radio world. And Bill, I'm sure you can run down these pretty quick. Yep. CQ contest, CQ contest. This weekend we have the big one, the CQ worldwide DX contest. It's the single sideband one. So get your microphone and pump your ALC all the way up and just scream into the microphone. And it's running from October 26th, uh, zero Zulu all the way up to October 27th. Uh, two, wow. That's a lot of time there. I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the day on the 27th. Let's just call it that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, 2359 Zulu. There it is. Um, <laughs> the modes, of course, are single sideband. Bands are 160 through 10. No work. And of course, you're going to exchange with your, uh, RS, your signal report and your CQ zone. So make sure you have that. Uh, the contest will also have an SWL class for those that just want to listen. And, uh, that's really cool that they have that. Um, another one that we got going on this weekend, we have the RG- RSGP 80 meter autumn series single sideband contest. This is running from October 31st. Uh, so this is on Halloween, uh, 1900 Zulu to 2030 Zulu. So in between trick or treaters, you can, uh, CQ, uh, on single sideband on 80 meters only. And it's a signal report and serial number. And the notes for this contest, it's a series of short evening contests on 3.5 megahertz, of course, 80 meters, uh, promoting competition between affiliated societies. Individual scores in every event counts towards society's overall score. And I believe we mentioned one of these not too many weekends ago. Um, the Silent Key Memorial Contest is also coming up uh, on November 1st. And that runs from uh, 0600 Zulu to 0859 Zulu. Uh, it must be like a sprint style. It's a uh, mode is CW and bands are 80 meters and 40 meters. Uh, exchange is RST plus ITU zone or RST plus your SK call sign. Uh, to remember our late ham friends, you are to contact as many stations as you can while collecting multipliers of resounded silent key call signs sent in reports as well as ITU zones. So this is an opportunity for you to give remembrance to one of your Elmers that maybe is no longer with us anymore, a silent key. So uh, 
So choose wisely, of course. <laughs> uh, contest next weekend, we have, uh, uh, the 1010 International Fall Contest. It's the digital version of this contest. It's, uh, November 9th through, uh, November 9th, 0001 Zulu through November 10th, 2359 Zulu. Uh, modes, of course, are digital. I'm assuming that's all digital modes. And the band, of course, is 10 meters. And 10 has been open, so uh, go ahead and give it a try. Don't be afraid. Go down there and tune up on 10 and have fun. Uh, your exchange is your name plus your 1010 number or zero if you're not a 1010 member and plus your state, province, or country. Country. Okay. See ya. Uh, so there you go. Notes are 1010 QSO parties are events that are held for fun to meet old and new prospective members around the world. The rules listed here are for all general QSO parties. Uh, we also have the North American single sideband sprint. It runs on uh, November 10th, 0000 Zulu to 0400 Zulu. And that mode is single sideband and it runs on 80, 40 and 20. Uh, your exchange is the other call plus your call plus serial plus name. I'm assuming that's yours plus your state province or country. The goal for is for the North American stations to contact as many radio amateurs as possible, of course, and for non-North American stations to contact as many North American stations as possible. Uh, so check out the rules. The sprints are normally a little different than a normal contest. I believe you normally can't stay on your calling frequency. You call CQ, person calls you, and then you complete the contact. They take your frequency and they call CQ there and you QSY. So uh, check out those uh, sprints. They are a little bit different, so uh, they can be quite fun with that format. Uh, the AWR EME contest is also coming up. We have the November 16th, uh, Zero Zulu, all the way through November 17th, uh, 2359 Zulu. Uh, all modes, CW, phone, and digital. And this is the lower band, so this is uh, 6 meters through uh, 1.2 gigahertz. Uh, your exchange report is your signal report. And the goal, of course, is two-way communications via the Earth, Moon, Earth path on any authorized amateur frequency above 50 and below 1.2 gigs. So, uh, yeah, have some fun with that one. And you're going to do the special events? Uh, sure, I can run through the special events. The uh, first one we have is a night on Bald Mountain. They actually are encouraging people to go to Bald Mountain so you can transmit from a cemetery on top of the mountain. But if you can't, you can also contact them. The call sign is WA4TRS. They'll be operating from 2000 Zulu on October 31st through 0400 Zulu on November 1st. Uh, frequency they'll be on or about is 7.256. And there are certificates and QSL cards available. And Night on Bald Mountain will be in operation from the graveyard on Bald Mountain located in southern Buncombe County, North Carolina. Grid square for that is EM85. So check that out when it's in operation. And being that we're coming up on Veterans Day, there's a couple of uh, war and veteran related. Well, not a couple. There's many, 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 but we're going to mention a couple. Uh, the first one is Thank You Veterans Day. This is from November 6th at 0000 Zulu through November 13th, 0000 Zulu. <laughs> uh, the call sign is November 5 Victor Echo Tango and 5 Vet. Frequencies they expect to operate on or about are 7.045, 7.230, 14.045, and 14.252. And the club, Kilo Charlie 5 November X-Ray, will have multiple operators covering many of the bands and modes from CW through SSB, FMAM, and FT8. All requests for contacts answered via email, telephone, or snail mail. And please include, uh, include, not occlude, and SASE to KC5NX to help defer the cost of this event if you want a QSL or certificate from the event. 
And we also have the 101st World War One Armistice Anniversary, which will be operating November 9th, 1400 Zulu to 2300 Zulu. Call sign for this special event is Whiskey Whiskey One, Uniform Sierra Alpha, WW1 USA. They'll be operating on or about 7.05, 14.05, 14.074, and 14.275. There are certificates available. Uh, the National World War One Museum and Memorial in Kansas City, Missouri, will again partner with Amateur Radio to host special event station WW1USA during 2019 for the centennial of World War One, observed internationally from 2014 through 2019. So that is all we have listed. Of course, there are lots of other contests and special event stations going on over the next couple of weeks. So, you know, hit the ARRL or do a Google search and try some of these or try some of those. Um, it's always a fun time. And Bill has a ham radio challenge. But before we get there, I'll just reiterate the announcement we had in the last weekend here was that we will have a contest of some kind. There will be a prize of some kind. And all the details have yet to be hammered out. But stay tuned for that. <laughs> we will get to it, honestly, before the end of the year. I'll say that now. Before the end, the of, end the year, of 2020. Oh, okay. Before the end of this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, we'll see. <laughs> well, 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 maybe it'll be in time to be a nice Christmas present or something for somebody. We'll see. Uh-huh, we'll see. Okay. All right. Bill has uh, his own ham radio challenge for folks this week. I didn't have to think of one myself. So what is it, Bill? Yeah. So uh, I was uh, dumpster diving around some uh, uh, GitHub, of course, my favorite place for dumpster diving. And I found this uh, cool new uh, SDR project. It's probably not terribly new. I'd have to look at the age here. But uh, it seemed new because it popped up in my news feed. Uh, check it out. It is called SDR Angle, Angel, sorry, SDR Angel, I'm assuming. And it's an open source QT5 OpenGL 3.0 plus SDR and signal analyzer front end to various hardware. Now, a couple notes on this. It, uh, it is intended for the power user. So if you've tried some other stuff and you're ready to get in a little deeper into some SDR applications, uh, Give it a try. It, uh, they say, we expect you to already have some experience with SDR applications and digital signal processing in general. SDR Angel might be a bit overwhelming for you. However, you are encouraged to use the discussion group, and you can also find more information on their wiki. And, of course, we have that project uh, linked in uh, the uh, show notes. And you can find transmission support, which is kind of cool, for the Blade RF1, RF2, the Hack RF, the Lime SDR, uh, Pluto SDR, XRTX, XTRX, sorry, and a couple other little things that you can try out there. Um, looks like a pretty interesting project. It's one I haven't run across yet. So, uh, give it a look and, uh, and try it out. It will also work with an RTL SDR, probably not in transmit mode, but you can at least, uh, use it as an analyzer. The, uh, UI looks pretty, uh, pretty slick. So, uh, yeah, give that a try for your, for your open source. Uh, ham radio or your ham radio challenge this week all right that sounds great i'm glad i didn't have to think of it <laughs> all right so moving on we have a distro to try and bill dug this one up in the dumpster as well so what are we trying this week 
Well, you know, hey, why not? Why not try Arch? This is Archman. Archman GNU Linux is an Arch Linux-based Turkish origins but global Linux distribution. Archman is a handy, easy, fast, and powerful Linux distribution. Archman's official versions are available to you with XFCE, KDE Plasma, Mate, and LXQT desktop management. In addition to these desktop administrations, other desktop administrations can also work on the requests from the community in order to prepare the version. Uh, although Archman GNU Linux also has a package repository that has its own customizations and configurations, it uses almost all Arch, Arch Linux repositories. So those are AURs. Uh, Archman opens the path to the Linux distribution that is both both easy to use and easy to develop. Archman is an end-user and developer-friendly Linux distribution. We made it easy, but we left the adventure gate open, much like any Arch distribution. <laughs> the adventure is to not crash your system and make it completely unusable. So, uh, <laughs> so have you tried Archman? I have not. I was going to, uh, I was going to spin it up and I got distracted with, uh, 1910s, uh, full release. So <laughs> I actually was running 1910 as a beta. I probably, and that's what my shack PC is operating on right now. So I probably need to do a couple of updates. So I'm getting to the actual, uh, released version at this point. But, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely out and in, in the wild. All right, very good. I mean, it worked just fine as a beta. I've been using it for probably two and a half weeks now, and uh, no problems. So, nineteen ten seems good and stable. And let's see. So that was nineteen nineteen ten was the E one Ermin, right? That was yeah, the, the morning mink, right? Yeah, morning mink. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no double entendres here. Okay, so uh, before we get into the really fun stuff in our hedonism segment, we're going to hit some open source events. And since Cheryl hasn't said very much, we're going to let her run down those open source events that are coming up. All righty then. Well, our first one is Usenix Lisa 19. It's October 28th through the 30th, 2019 in Portland, Oregon. Lisa's the premier conference for operations professionals where we share real-world knowledge about designing, building, securing, and maintaining the critical systems of our interconnected world. The second one is the Linux Security Summit Europe, which is October 31st through November 1st in Lyon, France. Uh, that's Lyon. Lyon, right, Lyon. yeah. Lyon. You, Lyon. Must, you must say it like a French yeah. person, Lyon. Lyon, France. <laughs> um, and this one is the Linux Security Summit, is a technical forum for collaboration between Linux developers, researchers, and end users with the primary aim of fostering community efforts and analyzing and solving Linux security challenges. LSS is where key Linux security community members and maintainers gather to present and discuss their work and research to peers, joined by those who wish to keep up with the latest in Linux security development and who would like to provide input to the development process. And the last one is KubeCon and CloudNativeCon. It is November 18th through the 21st in San Francisco, California. And the Cloud Native Computing Foundation's flagship conference gathers adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. And all that information will be in the show notes. Yes, it will. No, not all of that information, but links well, to all links the information to all the will information. definitely yes. be in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, our show notes would be really Too unwieldy. Long. Right. <laughs> uh, and Bill has decided he's going to give us an open source challenge for this week is you know, too, because he's he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So this is springboarding off of our article we had in the previous podcast where we talked about open source hardware. And I want you, 
to give us some feedback on some of the open source amateur radio hardware and possibly software that you have in your shack that you use day to day. And it also gives us a chance to get some more feedback from you, our listeners. So <laughs> this is an easy one. You just got to look around and, and see what you have. And uh, I'm almost certain that most of you have something that you can claim is an open source hardware project. Probably. <laughs> well, if you're listening to this show, I would certainly hope so, actually. And if you're not, that's what we're about. All right. So that means we've come down through some amateur radio topics and some open source topics, events, things coming up, useful things that might be fun to do. And now we're going to talk about food and liquor, <laughs> which is good stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Depends. So, so you, you know, everyone's favorite, favorite establishment, poker in the back, liquor in the front, right? Uh, <laughs> am i gonna have to cut that one up too is that too but, hard? Um, i think it's appropriate here oh okay right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so we'll start off as we always do with cheryl's recipe corner and you can tell us about the thing we had over the weekend yes so over the weekend we decided to host a 1980s party and one of the things that we decided to provide for dinner was school lunchroom pizzas um, and for those, and I'm assuming this is probably just a U.S. thing, but it may be worldwide. Um, everybody remembers school lunch and pizza. That was, that was the thing that everybody wanted to eat. Uh, another thing we served during the party though was Vegemite sandwiches. Those were not a big, yeah, they, they, they did not go over well. Although one person loved them. I ate mine. Russ ate his. But lots of people took a bite or two and then immediately headed to the trash can. So, <laughs> like, all right, As whatever. It should. Yeah, well, it was it was toasted bread with some butter and some Vegemite and a piece of cheese. Yeah, it it wasn't bad. It was yeah. Darren who sent us that, right? The Vegemite. Yeah, I believe so. VK sixty K. That would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So, My experience with that was in New Zealand, and I would never want to go back. That again. <laughs> it's vegemite I, it's like where are my cocoa puffs <laughs> yeah exactly well and that's that's the thing one thing i found about it said that a vegemite sandwich is the equivalent of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for kids in the united states and today i i commented about the party about things that i will always remember about it and i was like and everybody's dislike of the vegemite sandwiches and then i said <laughs> and you know this is the equivalent of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the u.s no well, no it is not for, for a certain <laughs> definition of equivalency i mean <laughs> it's much like tomato paste is a acceptable uh condiment versus ketchup no no <laughs> Well, <laughs> no, I, I don't think thing. anyone actually recorded what I said when when we were introducing this whole thing. But I had a video up of um, the Men at Work song "Down Under," yes, and we were all going to basically toast our Vegemite sandwiches by eating them when that particular line of the Vegemite show came sandwich, up. Yeah. But before that, I said, you know, we're going to hand out these little squares of Vegemite sandwich. That's what it all. You know, you know where this comes from. You know, we're not going to tell you what it is, but this is a Vegemite sandwich. So everybody took one, and I said. You know, and because I kind of expect a certain reaction here, there are trash cans here and here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, he was yeah. kind of like the you know the the stewardess on the airline right. flights. Yeah, you know, your exits are here and here and here and here. You know, 
and, and he was uh, pointing out all the trash cans. I and- think there were, aside from me, I think there was only one person who actually. Crystal loved it. Oh, Crystal loved it. Oh, okay. yeah. She came over. She's like, I, I need that recipe. And I was like, honey, you have to buy Vegemite <laughs> at the grocery store. Yeah. And she was like, that's It'll be the amazing. dusty cans on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say that at the time we did that, um, Crystal was, shall Completely we say, hammered. inebriated. <laughs> yeah. Taste buds weren't her, uh, most uh yeah. cute yeah. skill. So, <laughs> I was just like, all right. But yeah, we we got the we got the box of Vegemite uh, last year, I believe. I mean, it was last year, yeah. yeah. And we tr- we have tried all of it. Um No, we, there's one we haven't tried yet. Oh, is there still one that's there's not still open? one we haven't okay. tried yet. Yeah. We had there was Ozomite, Vegemite, Perlmite, uh and I don't even remember the other two. Right. <laughs> it's like Ossimite and something else mighty might some of that sounds mighty like you should be <laughs> some of that sounds like you should be putting it in your mortar mix not yeah. your uh... <laughs> the, the bad thing about it is i have congestive heart failure and the sodium levels and this stuff was like five thousand percent of your juice. daily recommended <laughs> allowance and i was just like i was like no <laughs> i i can't do that so i take a little tiny taste of it it just it tastes like pure soy sauce just yeah. like taking well, a, like a shot of soy sauce it basically. definitely has that umami quality of soy sauce but it's also not quite as approachable no, <laughs> as no, soy sauce yeah. so. well soy sauce yeah. so it's a stalagmite no i don't yeah. think that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but anyway we've, we've kind of derailed a little yeah, bit so let's talk about so. pizza yeah so anyway i i fixed school lunchroom pizza and it's it's a three-part process you i've got a recipe for the crust for the filling and for the sauce for the crust you need flour powdered milk sugar quick rise yeast Although regular yeast will work for this. Salt, uh, warm water to temper your yeast with, and vegetable oil. For your filling, you need hamburger and or ground Italian sausage, salt, pepper, and then you'll need shredded mozzarella cheese to go on the pizza. Now, if it was a true, you know, school pizza, it would have to be imitation mozzarella not exactly sure where you find that. I'm sure you can find it somewhere, though. Um, and for the sauce, you need tomato paste, water, olive oil, uh, minced garlic cloves, salt, pepper, oregano, basil, and crushed rosemary. And, you know, the recipe, of course, is a little long, so it will be in the show notes. But I think Russ liked it. It is not my favorite pizza by any means but it was certainly <laughs> decent and it definitely reminded me of school lunchroom pizza so okay. i mean you know the thing is you know how it is with your your palate over time kids palates are not necessarily really evolved so i'm sure when i ate school lunchroom pizza back then it tasted exactly like it did the other day i just appreciated it more because i hadn't had really decent pizza up till then <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so. It's better than the beef nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely better than mystery meat and uh, most of the other things you got in the lunchroom. Yeah, so, it wasn't bad though. So. No, no, it wasn't bad. I mean, I I think I had like four pieces of it. So yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it was quite all right. All right, so very good. Let's see what's Don saying. Dollar store mozzarella. Yeah, you know, that's probably it. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I think that's the equivalent of uh, government cheese, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Although, you know, I have to say our our school lunchroom always had loaves of white bread, a jar or a can of peanut butter and butter, just actual butter at the end of the lunch line for those of us that needed something to go with our, our lunches. Um, and the government subsidy peanut butter is amazing. Yeah, that's what I love me. that. You've told me that for years. That that's yeah, that really stuff good. is amazing. Yeah. So, just got to find it. Somewhere. In the chat room, Don KB2YSI wants to know if anyone has heard of Utica Chicken Riggies. No, I have never heard of Chicken Riggies. What is it? He says it's a typical American Italian food. The same three to six ingredients mixed together differently. However, it's a good comfort dish. So. We need a recipe. Uh, there's a link in the chat in Discord if anyone wants to find out about chicken riggies, but I can honestly say I've never heard of them. So. All right, then. So. All right, so lunchroom pizza, if you want to give it a try. One thing that was nice about it, it was, it's really easy to make. Yeah. So, and it's kind of like a twice-baked thing. You, like, bake the crust, and then you put Assemble the toppings it off, and, and then bake it again. Yeah. And it kind of like making a Sicilian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it it comes out really good. And if is if you spread the dough like relatively thin, you'll you'll actually come out with a decent pizza. We did it with nothing but uh, like unseasoned hamburger, but you could really play it up and and do all kinds of and, stuff and with make it. Yeah, a good, decent. I I wanted it to be more like school pizza, right? And obviously they don't season anything. <laughs> so and I did I we ended up originally thinking that there were going to be. 30 to 40 people here we had 10 show up i think it was like a dozen by the time it was all over but but yeah so i i made a lot more pizza than we needed (laughs) that's Um, okay lots of people got lots of pizza to take home people were taking pans of pizza home with them um but i did buy throwaway pans instead of using my actual you know half sheet pans which is what a school would use um so that that affected my crust a little bit too. It's a little thicker than it should have been because the pans are not quite as big. And it was funny because everyone says to you, we were having a little debate about cooking the pizza because the the wax paper that we used said it was only safe to four hundred and twenty degrees in the oven. It's and, not wax paper; it's parchment or parchment yeah. paper. And all of the recipes say to cook the pizza at four seventy five. Yes, the rest of the the kitchen. So we were kind of like, hmm. well, I, I was like, okay, we'll put one in, and if it catches fire, then we'll do something else. <laughs> yeah, it's underneath the crust. Yeah, well, well it, not the way she did it because she just lined the whole pan. I, yeah, I just so. lined the whole. I just pulled off a big piece of parchment, threw it down in the pan. Because what they were, they were a uh, steam like table a, pans from right. Sam's. I just uh, okay. I bought a package of like twelve steam table pans and just pulled off a big piece of parchment and yeah. threw it down. They, in they each will pan, not catch. So. They did not catch fire. They they, they crisp, got a little toasty and brittle, yeah. but they did not catch fire. So. Yeah. Well, and the stuff that was just the stuff that stuck out over the edge of the pan. Right. I'm the sure stuff that was, was in fine. the pan was fine. Right. So yeah. So if you're going to do that, just be somewhat careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so moving on, uh, we're coming around to my drink corner, and tonight I have, um, I don't know if it's interesting or not, but we're going to talk about it anyway. It's something I found recently in a local liquor store. It's J.W. Kelly and Company Old Milford Bourbon, and the reason this is kind of interesting is because it was produced in um, 1866 um, by J.W. Kelly, an Irish immigrant. 
who came here in 1862, started a distillery and started making bourbon in the United States really early on. And they operated until Prohibition closed down the distillery. And it remained closed until a few years ago when they reopened and started putting out product. So this is supposed to be based on the original recipe. It's only been around a little while. Uh, the oldest bourbon in this bottle is eight years. So they've uh, had product for at least uh, that long since uh, 2011 or so, and probably a little bit longer than that. Uh, the oldest review I think I've seen of it is about a year and a half old. So it's probably been out on the market about that long. So I was able to pick up a bottle of it for twenty nine ninety nine, I believe is what it cost. Um, I've actually seen it in places as high as $60. I'm not sure why that is. Um, it doesn't appear to be an allocation or anything like that. And it was certainly freely available where I picked it up from. So who knows as far as that goes. But it does have a couple of interesting things about it. It's uh, an eight-year and six-year and a five-year-old blend, which makes it technically a five-year. But, of course, there's older whiskey in it. The mash bill is a little on the interesting side. I don't think I've had one quite like this before. It's 75% corn, which gives it the ability to be bourbon. It's 20% malted rye. And I'm not sure I've had any other bourbon or even whiskey that had malted rye in it. And it's also 5% barley. Uh, the ABV on it is 94 proof, 47%. Comes out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is where Mr. Kelly settled back in the 1860s. Um, the color on it is really, really dark amber with a slightly reddish mahogany hue to it, which gives me the idea that it's been colored because it doesn't seem like an eight, even an eight year old bourbon would be this dark, but that's only speculation. It might be, it might be pulling that much char out of the barrel. Um, so pure speculation on my part. Uh, the fact that it's 94 proof means it's probably not chill filtered. It could be, but it probably isn't because it's over the 46% mark. Um, the nose on it's rather interesting, but I'm not sure I would call it interesting in a good way. It has a lot of the classic bourbon notes to it. It has butterscotch. It has vanilla. It has toasted oak. It has even mint. And I even detected a little bit of raspberry, but I actually detect a lot of rubber like tire rubber in the nose on this and to me it's i'm going to have cheryl smell this in a second because it to me it's really prominent especially the longer it sits in this glass it's really rubbery and i would say that i've never had another bourbon or another whiskey that smells like rubber but that would be untrue because there is another one i have the bib and tucker six year that also smells of rubber so I don't know if that's an artifact of there being malted rye in it, and I don't know if that bourbon has malted rye, um, or if it's something else, if it's where they get the barrels from, if it's the char type, if it's location-specific or something, but they both have a distinct rubber nose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to give Cheryl the glass here and see if she can smell rubber in that. Well, she's drinking it now. <laughs> Went straight to drinking it. <laughs> Gotta get the full, you know. Well, palette. yeah, the, the entire experience, absolutely. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't necessarily smell like rubber to me, <clears throat> but there is an odd smell there. See, the, to me, it smells like if I if I was if I had my nose resting on a Goodyear, that's exactly what it smells well, like. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe like a new tire. Yeah, so got that new tire smell. It, mm. it yeah. does have that new tire smell, which is. 
Um, yeah, now that I'm like, you know, staying in the middle of like a like Pet Boys or something, yeah, it kind of yeah. If you're in the Walmart automotive like department, yeah, it kind of smells like that. <laughs> yep. Now I'm not going to say right off the bat that that's a turnoff. It's different for sure. Well, it kind of goes with the whole, you know, Band-Aid type. Yeah, yeah but this is definitely rubber, not latex. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, yeah, very different aromas. Uh, so I, I have tasted this a little bit. I'm going to taste it again right now, just so I can make sure I didn't miss anything. Nope, I think my uh, I think my taste notes here match up pretty well. Again, classic bourbon type things. You get bur- uh, butterscotch and vanilla. I definitely taste milk chocolate in it as well, which is interesting to have vanilla and chocolate in the same in the same taste, but they're both there. Uh, definitely a black pepper. Um, it's got a little bit of a, a heat on the tongue. Barrel oak. Um, there is a pretty strong alcohol note to it. It's not particularly finished or particularly smooth when you drink it. Um, luckily, on the taste, that rubber note is really not there. It's only on the nose. So that's good. <laughs> uh, and as it sort of fades off into the finish, you get the lingering barrel spice on the tongue, and there's a tiny little bit of toasted oat. Um, vanilla, of course, because it's a bourbon and that's sort of always present in those. And just the hint of sweet melon, like a cantaloupe, uh, type melon is in there on the finish. So it's, it's moderately complex. It's interesting because the mash bill is a little strange. The nose, I imagine would be off-putting to some, but luckily the nose does not carry into, uh, the actual tasting of the whiskey. So um it's certainly not among my favorites but it was well worth the 29 dollars to give it a try and i'd have to give this a rating sort of semi-low like i did with the bib and tucker which i don't think i've actually reviewed on the show yet but i i know in my mind i don't like it very much (laughs) so i'm gonna have to give this about an 84 84 yeah it's it's pretty low um but if you want to try something that actually has malted rye and it's a little bit different, is not going to like, you know, break your wallet and probably should be available to you, if not now, at least relatively soon. Um, you can try it. And like I said, you know, all of these nosing and tasting profiles are completely subjective. So you may not t- smell rubber at all. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but anyway, if you want to do that, give it a shot. Uh, it's JW Kelly and Company Old Milford Bourbon a recipe from pre prohibition that's been resurrected for the late 2019s all right bill do you have something for us uh you know i'm i'm on my my uh health kick (laughs) 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 but i am i am i I, i'm trying out all these uh these hard seltzers just to kind of taste the gamut of them to see which ones actually don't taste like garbage and <laughs> I haven't, haven't found one yet personally so. i found one that's not bad so the one i i'm drinking right now and i can't type obviously what i'm trying to do is i'll just put it in there there it goes truly uh is truly hard seltzer and uh i got the berry mix pack they had it in the grocery store on sale and that's always a good sign <laughs> um or not <laughs> or not yeah, yeah you know i wanted to try it out and uh you know it's not bad it's uh i i i like just drinking club soda by by itself. So I'm somebody that likes seltzer water. Um, so I figured I'd be a, a good fit for this, this type of drink anyway. 
Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to find that there's several of them that, um, either try too much to have like too much flavor, too much sweetness, or maybe just not enough, like a little hint of something. And then it just tastes weird because of the alcohol in it. And I think that's like the, the trade off that you do when you're getting into these seltzer drinks. Like, you know, I, I could drink, you know, whatever the fancy seltzer water is that you barely even taste a flavor in it. Like those are fine, but like if they're an alcohol seltzer with barely any flavor in it, they just they just taste a little off. Um, but these actually taste pretty good. Uh, at least the berry one is the ones I've tried. Uh, my favorite out of this pack are the uh, blueberry and the acai uh, version, and also the black cherry version. And it comes in at five uh, percent alcohol volume, hundred calories, and uh, one gram of sugar. So low on the sugar content, but just enough. Just enough fruit flavor to uh, to kind of mask it that you 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 don't you know it's not like a soda pop where it's very sweet and very flavorful, but it's not um, it's not where you can actually just taste the alcohol in it like you can on um, like Big Sky makes one a, a you know local brewing company makes a makes a one and it's uh, it's just a little off because it's just not enough flavor in it and i think you got to kind of have that just a little drop of sugar in there to to kind of uh, make it come together but uh yeah these are these are pretty good they're not not too bad and uh definitely better than like a light beer or something like that which uh which i'm not really a huge fan of <laughs> so um yeah so uh try them out the truly heart seltzer uh uh specifically the berry mix pack you can probably find it for i think i found it for like 13.99 was a 12 pack all right. Not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. I just hate them all. So, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not, I can't drink seltzer water. So it's just you know, I'm sure there's not going to be one of those that I'm really going to be interested. In. I'll, I'll stick to my rubbery liquor. <laughs> yeah, rubber. I like to <laughs> drink the rubber. So I did find out some information on the uh, the bourbon. Okay. Um. Apparently, the color comes from the fact that um, it says it's you know officially you know like an eight year old bourbon. But the color alone lets you know that there's whiskey way older than five-year-old blended in this offering. It's also been aged in um, Italian wine casks. Okay. So, and they they say that it pulls color, red wine casks, is pulling part of the color from that. So uh, that that might explain some of the reddish hue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very yeah. right. It's very dark for a yeah eight-ish year old bourbon. So, um. There you go. Amarone, I believe, is the wine they mentioned. So I see. All right, cool. All right, very good. Well, I think that means we have come down to the end of the show. So that only leaves us to comment on the folks who are with us live in the chat room. And we had Ted W A Zero E I R, Dan K F Five T Q N, Steve K D Zero I J P, Don K B Two Y S I, and Don K C Nine Z M Y. And we want to thank everybody who listened to us live and participated in the program or anybody who just listens to us whenever and wherever you are. We really appreciate that. We consider you part of the Linux in the Hamshack family, and uh, we hope you continue to listen and uh, send us some feedback. Tell us how we're doing. Let us know. Just uh, engage with us, whether it be on IRC, Discord, email, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. And until the next episode... On Monday, which will be our deep dive, 
I guess we're going to wrap this one up. This has been episode number 309 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill NE4RD73. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8 pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at urlbctsinfo LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Shack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.